Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. We're so excited to have Celinda Lake and Ed Goas with us today. They are the bipartisan team behind the battleground poll from George Washington University um, and also at the top of their field uh, separately with their own firm, Celinda Lake with uh, Lake Partners and Ed Goas with uh, the Terrence Group. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having us. It's absolutely my pleasure. So we'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the Battleground Poll, which comes out this week. If you could give us a little background on the Battleground Poll. Selinda, would you like to go first? Sure. So um, we started the Battleground Poll over a conversation at a piano bar in Budapest. Uh, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) everyone should start there. Uh, in new endeavors that way, we think. And uh, what we were really intrigued by, and it has been a terrific partnership, and and I must say, uh, over the course of it, I have gained so much respect for Ed as an analyst, a strategist, a truth teller, and a great friend. Um, But uh, what we have, uh, what we were trying to address was the idea that often bipartisan analysis gets kind of watered down. And so we wanted to do very partisan analysis, but give two points of view. So we both write questionnaires and then we agree on them. We write our separate analysis. We're not looking for common ground. We're looking for each side to learn from each side's perspective. And then uh, thanks to Chris Arterton's vision, we have really benefited from the partnership with GW, which is ongoing, and it's added a whole new dimension of uh, looking at polling and public service and some of these questions from a long-term as well as a short-term perspective. And I'll turn it, Ed, to, to you. Yeah, and uh, actually, uh, June 1991 was the first Battleground poll we released. Um, I think it is very unique that we do a separate Republican and Democrat analysis um, what is interesting about this particular one is through the years, and I can't say enough good about Celinda also in terms of uh, being a truth teller that I think is sometimes harder on the Democratic side. I'll take a little shot here than on the Republican side, because very often they deal with the press surrounding uh, polls much more than we do, where we tend to be much more insular and in using it for strategy. Um, but I do have to admit that this is the 
uh, of all the polls, and this is the 58th one we have done over the last 25 years, um, that on that very first one, I, I went shuffling off to the Bush campaign, which was just starting its reelect, basically saying I was seeing some real warning signs for the president in his reelection campaign. Uh, probably one of the first ones out there to kind of go to them and say, you know, you have some real problems here, here, and here. Um, this survey is uh, probably matches that in terms of some real warning signs for the Republican Party uh, today um, and where we stand in terms of the nomination process, where we stand in terms of the election. Um, and I know we're going to get into the numbers quite a bit, <laughs> but from uh, from a, a you know typical standpoint of this being an open presidential campaign, meaning that there's no incumbent running for re-election, um, normally what you see is the Democrat or the the incumbent uh, party uh, is having to deal with any negatives that have built up over the eight years or four years, in the case may be, um, that has built up towards that incumbent party in the White House. We see many of those measurements in, in this. However, the, the nominee or the potential nominees that we are looking at walk into this with some negating uh, issues, if you will, uh, particularly Donald Trump. Um, so there's, this is very much like we often see in surveys. There's some good news for us and some bad news for us. Uh, but I would say the bad news is, is more predominant uh, in terms of things we need to fix uh, than the good news. Uh, in these numbers. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this show are sort of the changing voter demographics and emerging groups that are becoming more and more important in these presidential years. What trends are you seeing in terms of younger voters, Latino voters, how these groups um, are shaking out in comparison to uh, elections in, in years or decades past? Well, one of the things that, this is Celinda, one of the things that we uh, look at here, uh, besides the, the two that you mentioned, are also the unmarried uh, voters. And one of the biggest gaps in this data is actually uh, between married and unmarried voters. There's also a huge gender gap uh, when we talk about Trump and when we talk about Hillary, women being far more enthusiastic about Hillary than men and being far more disgusted by Trump than men, um, particularly blue collar men. But in terms of the, one of the most important things I think, and one of the most recent findings in this data is that Democrats traditionally and in previous surveys that we have done have lagged behind the Republicans in, in terms of enthusiasm for the election. What we're seeing is real engagement on both sides. And what we're seeing is that enthusiasm or engagement gap actually closing. And I think it can be attributed as much to Trump, honestly, as it can be to what our side is doing. And so we're seeing people of color, younger voters, millennials of color in particular, um, Latino voters, are very engaged. Democrats in general, very engaged, really following the race. Uh, more so than they would normally do at this point in time. Yeah, and and, and Selena knows this. I often point this out that that um, th there's still a math game involved, and in that you have about thirty percent of eligible adults in this country are not registered to vote. And in a presidential year, you usually have about seventy to seventy-five percent of those registered voters vote. So there's always a math game as opposed to looking at the pure demographics. 
looking at a math game uh, that's at play. Um, I think the bigger issue right now uh, is that uh, when we look at the negatives, quite frankly, both, let's talk about Trump as the presumptive uh, uh, front runner at this point and Hillary in the, that same position, um, that both of them started off with almost universal name ID. And both of them started off with a 55% unfavorable rating. Um, in the case of Hillary, that has leveled off. It's about the same as, as she started the beginning of the campaign with. In the case of Trump, his negatives have gone up from 55% to 65%, uh, which co causes all new challenges. What is interesting about where his negatives have gone up, it has gone up more with Republicans. And I know there's a lot of talk of the one-third of Republicans that are strongly for Trump that will walk away from the Republican Party if he's not the nominee. But over the last six months, the other third uh, at the other end of the spectrum that had an initial negative response to Trump have only intensified that much more to a point that he is now at a 52 percent strongly disapproved, many of those being Republicans. And quite frankly, many of those being married Republican women that for Republicans to win a national campaign, we usually have to be somewhere in the 15, 16, 17 point advantage with those married uh, white women uh, in order to negate somewhat the gender gap and certainly to win the national election. And those are the most negative people towards Trump, which is why you're saying uh, the gender gap somewhat negated or aggravated. Yeah, I mean, I saw this weekend there was a story that I guess Trump thought, Trump said that changing diapers makes someone like a wife which I, I guess will not help his, help his fortunes with the married women group. And I worked on a poll a couple of weeks ago that showed Trump down 12 points with married women, you know, a group that went, as you know, seven points for Romney. So he's got, he, he clearly has a lot of challenges. I mean, when I look at your data, I see, you know, it's very consistent with a lot of other polling showing that, you know, everything is kind of upside down and, and wrong way around that, you know, the president's numbers have rebounded, even though, People want to see the next president take the country in a different direction. Um, the the top tier contenders are the least popular, while the candidates that seem least likely to get the nomination are the most popular. Um, you have you know the wrong direction folks who feel the country is moving in the wrong direction. That just continues to be you know just uh, the bad numbers all around and has been for years. I mean, what do you make when you look at this? Oh, and the last piece is that people feel are paying closer attention than they ever have, but feel more disgusted within than they have typically i mean what do you make with all this i mean do you think that this is a trend that can be fixed or is it just sort of a new normal in our political discourse well uh, for from my perspective i think it, it is it is something that i think will come around at some point but you know quite frankly what happened very early on in the process and this was driven not by trump this was driven by Cruz. Uh, you had Cruz to grab his segment of the voters that he was going after in the primary, basically take much of that anger that Republicans had and frustration Republicans had towards uh, the president and turn it into and focus that anger and frustration more on the Republicans or the Washington establishment, if you will. Um, and so it basically took the foot off the gas pedal with Republicans that were very focused on the president's solutions, his the disagreement with his solutions, 
and pointed it at Republicans in Washington. Um, can it turn around? I think certainly if you get into the general election, uh, you're going to see more of a partisan uh, push that will bring that more into uh, perspective from my standpoint. Um, but I think it still is going to be a long road to go. And again, going back to Trump, I think the question with Trump is that the negatives there for Trump have not been based on he's either too moderate or he is too conservative. Um, it's been based on his character. And that's a much deeper hole, much tougher hole uh, to dig out of in the general election, uh, which is the real concerning numbers I see in the survey. I think uh, the other thing that's interesting about this is that I think, um, you know, a lot of the negatives of Trump have to do with the, the coarseness, the hostility, the aggressiveness of his conversation, which is a very interesting contrast with a woman candidate. Right. And uh, I think it's a real challenge to make sure that Hillary Clinton doesn't get sucked into this. But I, I was struck by the new ad that they just released today that talked about coming together, standing together, standing up for all of us that really drives this wedge. And I also was struck by the clips today that showed, um, you know, a lot of the Trump team saying, well, Trump is just Trump. There's nothing you can do about that. Well, I think that voters may think that's fine for a reality television show, but it's not that great when you're trying to direct a country, when you're being a role model to children, when you're um, engaging with international leaders. This style issue for Trump, uh, which he's been rewarded for his whole life, so he's unlikely to change it and can't stay away from for very long, no matter who advises him, Ivanka or others, to change, is a real problem for him. It's also a group of voters that we notice rejecting it pretty strongly that we haven't talked about are moderates. Um, so not only are the independent voters um, and, and women in particular uh, disliking this, but the moderates don't like this tone either. So I think that's a real vulnerability for Trump. Uh, and, I, and I wonder if he even really in his heart of hearts desires to come back from it. Well, I think it's, a, you know, as, as much as he talks about being a businessman and understanding business, I think that's part of the problem of what we see here is he's working off of a different model. Uh, that in business, uh, you know, he started off, for example, with Republicans, with, with a third of the Republicans that really liked him. Um, in, in business, if you take a third of the market and you move that up to a point um, that you increase your market share by 5%, which is what he's done. He's getting 38% of the Republicans in the popular vote that's been cast. Uh, that's a real winner. In politics, if you don't move your market up to a majority uh, 51%, you're a loser. I know it's a term he hates. I wish he would understand a little bit more. He's dealing in a different market right now. It's not keeping his market share it's improving his market share. And that's one of the concerns we see in the data is that, in fact, in looking at that market share, um, he looks like he has a ceiling while he has a very high floor. He has a ceiling that is very low and may put him out of an ability to move it over 50 percent. One of the other things that I'm interested in your take on is, you know, beyond the, the ballot test and beyond Trump and beyond Clinton, is, you know, shifts in what Americans believe about policy issues, about the role of government, because at this point, you know, as, as the Republican 
half of the pollsters show, you know, I'm trying to focus now on sort of down ballot stuff, having seen right. how grisly this stuff is at the top of the ticket. And I noticed there was a fascinating finding where it was uh, 47% say, and of course there's irony here in this being 47% responding this way, um, on a question about what should the government's role be in taking care of people? Um, should it be to see that every person has a job and a good standard of living? 47% choose that. Versus get out of the way and let the free market help people succeed, 46%. So pretty clear divisions on these role of government and society issues. How do you think this is going to translate down ballot to somebody who's sort of center-right, conservative, limited government folks who may want to distance themselves from the the sort of negative rhetoric and, and the things that Trump is putting out there, but would like to be returned to the U.S. Senate come next November? Well, I mean, first of all, this is what we've been dealing for nearly two decades now, that the country has been basically split you know, for all the talk of the, uh, the, the division in Washington. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that voters have been fairly divided for almost two decades now with much different views of what the right solutions are to get there. I think the, the, if you look below the surface on everything that is occurring, um, I always look at the middle class. The middle class is 71, 72% of the electorate. And what the middle class has been saying is that, look, we're kind of mad at both ends here. We're mad at the rich who get the special deals and they're getting richer. And we're angry at the poor that get the programs. And all we get is an ever-increasing bill for an ever-increasingly ineffective government. What you have seen is a shift out there that a lot of the Republicans, a lot of the conservatives saying, I want government to do more, but when you really look at what they're saying is I want government to do more to deliver solutions to me um, to, so that I don't mind paying the money in taxes, but I want to make sure I'm getting my money's worth and I want to know that I'm part of what's being looked at of who needs to be taken care of in government when in fact it's putting its solutions together. You know, I think, Kristen, there's a really interesting challenge <laughs> for both parties uh, when it comes to the two central issues that voters are worried about, the economy and government reform. And those are people's top two issues. Uh, and I think uh, actually both candidates at the top of the tickets and both likely nominees uh, need to do some uh, refining of their messages here. For Democrats, I think the real challenge is we are behind the Republicans generically on jobs in the economy. And Hillary Clinton, who has huge leads on caring about people and um, foreign policy and health care, is tied with Trump on the economy. And uh, the other piece of data that I think is a real warning to Democrats is um, Democrats, independents, and Republicans believe that trade deals, have, and both college-educated and non-college-educated Americans for the first time believe that the trade deals have been bad for the economy. So you have a real challenge here where I think the most important thing for Democrats to do in the next six months is to uh, form a, a more comprehensive, aggressive, um, retooled economic message that fits these times and that fits people's sense of not doing very well. There are no victory laps in this economy, frankly. And I was fascinated to see that both college-educated and non-college-educated thought that the trade deals had been bad for the economy. 
Um, this is a really pretty profound rejection of some of the approaches that some Democrats are taking, and we need to retool our economic message here. But I, I, I think at the same token, I mean, we, we, we have to not read too much into those numbers uh, from this standpoint, is that, again, the voters are asking that they be looked at, that the solutions be geared at making their lives better, um, which also puts them in a position of saying everything else is the bad guy or other people is the bad guy here. Um, uh, the bottom line, when you look at trade, what they're really saying is, I want to make sure that everything that's being done is being done for us, that we're getting the best part of the deal and not being done for them, and they're getting the best part of the deal. And I think, unfortunately, we've had some candidates out there misportraying what's really been happening out there. I mean, we are still the strongest economy in the world. Uh, we're, we are uh, as big as the two largest comp competitors against us. So doing the right thing for us, is the answer, and I think right now they're hearing mis mixed messages on that, and trade is a prime example of that. Uh, it is also an example of many of these voters. You know, people ask me very often that the Trump voters and the Sanders voters <coughs> appear to be very similar. Here's where they are similar, and the data that I see, is they feel like they're drowning. And so they're reaching out for whatever seems to be the best answer to keep them from drowning. And any rhetoric in terms of trade, um, that they're the bad guys, they're getting the better deal, and we need to have better deal, play right into that saving the drowning man. Um, and, and I think Celinda's exactly right. We need a good discussion on it. But we also need to make sure that the rhetoric is not driving our policy, that, in fact, the policies are, in fact, doing the right thing, which ultimately is what you want. Yeah, um, no, that, that's a good way of comparing the two. I often wince when people try to compare Sanders voters or Sanders to Trump. I mean, Trump traffics in racist and hateful language and Sanders doesn't. That seems to be a big glaring difference. But you're right. I mean, both vo sets of voters have anger toward um, toward the government. Um, so turning a little bit more broadly away from the battleground polls specifically, um, tell us we have a lot of folks who listen who are in school, they're in graduate school, or they're early in their careers, or maybe not part of the political polling industry. What advice would you give to folks who are thinking about going to this industry do you feel optimistic about where it's headed and you know what advice would you give well one of the things i would say and of course it's nice to be with two women pollsters in this regard and a feminist who uh supports women pollsters um is that it's a great career for women i think and i'm sure you all have talked about this before i think that politics still revolves very much around personal power and I think that's very hard for women to be granted. And the great thing about us is that when a pollster walks in the room, sooner or later they have to get to us and say, okay, what does the data say? So I think it's a terrific profession for uh, still, and particularly for women. I also think that one of the things that's really interesting is a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to be a pollster because I'm not very good at math. I never considered myself good at math. Now, you can't be a being a pollster is thinking about looking for patterns it's uh looking at relationships it's being a good listener it's understanding these nuances as ed has been sharing and so uh, i think it's a great um it's a great profession 
and uh, still a great profession, although an ever-challenging one. The next generation of pollsters can help us solve some of these problems. Well, I would add on, I, I think it's a great profession. I, I'm very concerned on where our profession is going as a whole. Um, uh, one of the things that I have felt uh, really since 2000 is that uh, the newer people coming into the process, uh, they're not learning strategy, they're not learning messages, they're not learning about the issues. They're learning how do I build a bigger pile of campaign than the other side. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. I think one of the things for all the good things that have come from social media, one of the things social media has never provided us with is an ability to um, to look at the metrics of reach and frequency uh, to deliver one message. They'll tell us how many eyeballs are looking at it, but we don't have the normal metrics that we had on TV, on radio, on direct mail. And so what we have is people just saying, do more, um, as opposed to saying, okay, we have this message we want to deliver, um, uh, and this is how many times we get need one eyeball looking at this one message to deliver the message. And it has made the, the newer group of people coming into the field very focused on piles of campaign and, and tactics rather than focused on strategy. And I like to think that what we do with polling is try to keep some honesty to that, that it's not just a matter of who can build the biggest pile of campaign, but strategically, how do we contrast ourselves to the other side, which is what campaigns are all about, and, and the reality of who's really listening and who's not, and what messages really make a difference. Um, and I think uh, if, if I were to suggest to anyone, if you really want to influence future strategy and campaigns, this is the area to get into, not the other areas. Well, I think that's great advice for a lot of the students who are listening to the show and, frankly, a lot of the younger staffers who, who we, we know listen to the show as well. Uh, well, that's all that I've got. I'm just grateful that you all uh, were willing to come on and discuss this poll and can't wait to see the results as they unfold over the course of the rest of the cycle. Yeah. How, hey, can, folks, so how, can, how can folks find you? How can they find the Battleground Poll and, or your firms on Twitter and everything else? Uh, for us, it's the Terrence Group, T-A-R-R-A-N-C-E.com. Um, and uh, we have all the battleground material up, including the Republican analysis. And I don't know if Celinda's putting it up, but as soon as I see hers, which I haven't at this point, um, as soon as I see her analysis, I'll put hers up also. Thank you. And GW has it. And if you want to reach us, it's lakeresearchpartners.com. And uh, we are, uh, and also GW has all of the materials posted at the Battleground uh, site on their website as well. And thank you for having us on such a great venue and such thoughtful questions. Oh, yeah, no problem. And hopefully you guys can come back on um, before the election. Thank We'd you love much. it. Great. Well, thanks, guys.